Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, we get we get a lot of letters, we've received a lot of correspondencies over the years, and occasionally people have written to us and said something like, Ah, uh, gee, thanks, fellas. Uh, now I can't sleep at night, right? Or, yeah, that's pretty common, actually. Yeah, stayed up till 5 a.m. on uh, uh, one rabbit hole or another. And uh, conversely, we get messages every once in a while that say, wow, you guys really helped me fall right to sleep. I love that one. <laughs> also <laughs> true. Five stars. Whenever I can't sleep, I turn on stuff they don't want you to know. <laughs> uh, today's episode hinges on a couple of a couple of things that may seem on the offset unrelated but they are very much related uh we're talking about insomnia uh the the physical phenomenon that people encounter we're talking about true crime unsolved murders in a way that gets dark very very quickly and we're talking about a show monster presents 
Insomniac. This is out now. It's available now. And please listen to our show first <laughs> because uh, we have a special guest today, a longtime friend of the show, personal friend of ours, returning to Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, Conspiracy Realist. Welcome, Scott Benjamin. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, guys, just to uh, break the fourth wall here for a moment, I'm an executive producer on this show, and we've been getting some reviews on iTunes that discuss how they can't believe this could ever be real, the stories that are put in here. And, you know, that's one of the big reasons we wanted to talk to Scott to to actually have just a conversation where we discuss what's actually affecting you and how real this truly is. Yeah, let me tell you, everything everything that you hear on that show is real. It really is. It, it truly is. It, what, what happens to me, what happens in the the, uh, the horrific stories that we tell, it's all real. Too real. No, yeah. <laughs> I've often said, Scott, and full disclosure, you and I worked on a show together for the better part of a decade. Yeah. Uh, I've often said about you, and I, I hope this doesn't offend you, that Scott Benjamin has two great fascinations, cars and crime. Yeah, true. <laughs> and and when we were when we were hosting car stuff, one of the first how stuff works podcasts, uh, people would be surprised I think how how an occasional episode would morph into a true crime story like the Dale Carr, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we'd love to kind of delve into some of the uh, the darker history of automobiles and you know, some of the uh, the, the lesser known corners of of that uh, I guess that whole experience, you know, like you know what what it was all about and um just kind of su- some surprising things that people had no idea were going on behind the scenes. So, for many people Monster Presents Insomniac is a surprising turn, right, for people who have only known you through car stuff, for instance. Could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this series and and give us a sense of what Insomniac is? Sure. Can I first tell you, though, that um, this is a complete – um, 90 degree turn for me or 180 degree turn for me, really. Um, Speaking in I, car parlance. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah exactly. I, uh, I, I just am not one to really ever come forth with any kind of personal information, you know, any kind of uh, um, information that, you know, let's the listeners really know a lot about my personal life. I mean, we kind of touch on some things that really aren't all that important. But when you're talking about your sleep and you're talking about kind of your mental well-being, uh, that gets very personal very fast. And, you know, your relationship with your family and, um, you know, my, how I, I interact with people here at work and all of that. It, so it's it's really, really personal story. And it's uh, it's been tough for me along the way. But um, you asked about the uh, the inspiration for this. And the inspiration really goes back decades. I've, uh, I've been a true crime fan for probably 30 plus years, maybe 35, maybe even 40 years. I don't know. I can't remember when I began. But uh, my father has always been into true crime and he uh, he takes full responsibility for this, by the way, <laughs> uh, my, my addiction to this because um, he has always been into, you know, the same types of things that I have as far as reading. And I picked it up from him, you know, grabbing some old uh, books off the shelf, you know, that he'd allow me to borrow or something and um, just kind of reading through whatever he had. And then, um, you know, eventually I started reading this stuff on my own when I had some free time. I'd do it, you know, on vacation. I'd do it on an airplane or, you know, reading at night before going to bed or something. And it was always kind of fun. It was uh, it was a you know a, a way to pass time, and, and I never really internalized it the way that I have in the past several years. I guess you know I wanted to ask you about that. You said your dad a lot of times in the show. Mm-hmm. You talk about how your dad would write in the margins of yeah. a lot of the books and try and solve the crimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and we kind of got into a little bit of why 
people are so into true crime or what, what that fascination is. What would you say that is? Oh, gosh. I, I think that it's just because it's so much more fascinating than fiction. It always has been to me and I think the, the true crime readers will agree that you can't make something up that's better than a true story. I mean when you really consider that this is this is really happening to someone, has happened to somebody or um, you know you're just – you're able to see both sides of this whole thing and you know that it really happened. You can look up court documents or police documents that, that back everything up and say like, oh my gosh, this this really happened this way and it's it's far – and I'll say I'll say greater, and it, you know, if I say greater or better or anything like that, I don't mean it in any offensive way. When you're talking about you know the death of somebody, that's awful. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it this this does seem like these are greater stories than fiction. I also I've always thought that something might have to do with the fact that people like to feel better by comparison. Where it's like at least my life's not this screwed up, or at oh. least you know I'm not this you know psychopathic serial killer. Or oh, whatever, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it does. You know, in a, in a horrific way, a horrible way, it makes you feel better about yourself. You're right. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, well, at least, you know, at least this isn't happening. Maybe what I'm dealing with right now isn't so bad. I can get through this. When we talk about these kinds of stories on stuff that I want you to know, plenty, uh, but the ones that are in your show are a little more off the beaten path. They're kind of some you maybe haven't heard of but are just as horrific as, say, like a Jeffrey Dahmer situation. Well, absolutely, and that's what we were going for in this. Is And I knew right from the very beginning when I wanted to do a true crime show years and years ago, I knew that I wanted to tackle some of the ones that have – really gotten much, much less press than anybody else, any of the other stories. So, you know, you you can go anywhere and hear about Gacy and Dahmer and, you know, Ed Kemper and all those guys. And and they're fantastic stories, but you've pretty much heard just about everything you can about these people at this, at this point. Uh, there's, you know, relatively few little bits and pieces that you can dig up that are, that are kind of new to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these stories, hopefully most of it, if not all of it, is brand new to the listener. And, uh, and I think you'll find that they're equally as, uh, you know, awful at the, at the same time entertaining and, uh, and just kind of intriguing as you go through and you listen to each of these stories, which are they're, – they're told in two parts, each one. And it's a 10-episode series. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think that uh, you're going to find some surprises in here, some, some real surprises. And I, I don't necessarily keep it PG-13. It kind of – it delves into R-rated territory pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think this one's exactly for, you know, young listeners. But I'll leave that up to, uh, to everybody out there. Again, when did you start reading the true crime books, right? <laughs> so we're drawing in several threads here. Uh, one thing that's fascinating about true crime is that crime itself often often becomes an inherent conspiracy, right? We conspire to rob a bank. We conspire to kidnap or murder. Not we, not the four or five of us, but you get the point. Let's let's before we delve into some of the specifics, because there is one case that I know Matt and Noel are very, very taken with now. Uh, before we dive into the specifics, let's talk a little bit about insomnia itself, because Insomniac does address something that you touched on earlier. It's something that doesn't get talked about very often in the world of true crime, which is the effect the shows can have on the people creating them. And it's always sort of a joke behind the scenes here when uh, at, at How Stuff Works, we say, you know, don't take your work home with you. Everybody does to some degree. So when did you start 
Well, first, what is insomnia and when did you start experiencing it? Was it in the course of creating this show? It really was in the course of the of the show. And, uh, and I think I've kind of pinned down exactly what triggered this in me. And, and I'll tell you about that as we as we get to it. But, um, yeah, I've had some awful, awful sleepless nights and, uh, and it goes on for days at a time sometimes where, you know, it's not it's not where you're awake continuously for 96 hours or something like that. You know, it's like where you might be awake for 40 hours at a time and then get two hours of rest and then have to function for a full workday and get home somehow. And then, you know, you get two, three hours of rest again and then you're back again at work. And it, it just kind of goes on and on and on like that. And you never feel like you can catch up. And uh, and what that leads to is that, you know, during the day, uh, you fall asleep at your desk, you know, in inopportune times, you feel drowsy when you're not supposed to, you feel wide awake when you're not supposed to be awake. Uh, your your cycle, your sleep cycle is just completely off. Um, it's just there's there's no way to shut down your mind at night. There's no way to you know, like turn off the thoughts. And it's just kind of this like continuous stream of, of worry and panic and paranoia and fear and all this that all these thoughts are just going through your head and you cannot stop it. There's just no way to get around it. And it's, it's miserable. And I believe science is still trying to figure out the specifics of what causes insomnia because there are different there, – there are different routes to the same condition, correct? Sure. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, uh, one other thing that I was kind of – or I have been I guess I'll say plagued with during this whole thing is that when I did fall asleep, I was having these horrific nightmares. And uh, these nightmares were extremely realistic and re- like really, really vivid dreams that were making me think that during the day – Whatever I had dreamt the night prior had really happened. So, you know, if, if I was like part of, uh, you know, the cover up of some awful, awful crime or something like that, I felt guilty the next day. Um, or if I was, you know, the one committing that crime, I felt even worse. And, you know, there was just also some like incredible scenes where, you know, I'm in this world where I, I could tell you every single detail about every single little thing. And it wasn't like a, a typical dream where, uh, you know, like my previous dreams, I guess, years prior, where, you know, they're a little, fa- a little vague, a little, uh, little fuzzy around the edges. These are crystal clear dreams. Like, I know everything about them. I know all the characters in them. I know everything about it. I can remember it the next day. Um, it's just, it's, it's terrifying the next day, if, especially, you know, if you're involved, <laughs> like the worst case would be, you know, I'm involved in a crime and, and somehow in this dream, whatever, you know, there's a, there's a dead body. And I'm helping to hide this dead body, and you can imagine mm-hmm. the guilt and the fear and the and the anxiety and the, the paranoia and all that that goes along with something like that. I, I've never done anything like that in my life, obviously. Okay, um, I, sure. I, I'm telling you, I've never done anything like that in my life <laughs> for real. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> no, but really, I never have, and uh, and I I never hope to, of course. But you know, you get that uh, that that awful, just gut wrenching feeling that you know you can't look anybody straight in the eye because you feel so guilty about whatever you've done in your dream. And I know people have other dreams that are, you know, maybe maybe sex dreams. Maybe they're, you know, just dreams that you've done something wrong at work or you've done something wrong at home or, you know, something else like that. But uh, these that involve, you know, the uh, the death of another person, oh, man, it's, it's, it's rough. It's really rough. I got to tell you, Scott, I, I've had some recurring dreams like that too where I've uh, murdered a family friend oh, and I wake up and I feel as though I've done it and that they're on to me and that, you know, like they're going to, they're going to, they're going to know. Everyone's going to know. Like I'm going to be found out. I almost, you know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I did, I had no idea that you're going through that too, by the way. But This is years ago. Um, I mean, it hasn't been in a while, but it, I definitely, that's a very distinct memory for me is having that dream and feeling it, 
instant guilt when I woke up. Is it not true that you almost have to contact that person or look up that person in some way and, and like, reassure yourself that they're still around? Maybe. I, it's, yeah. I, I had that kind of sensation, too. Like, they're, like how am I going to reassure myself that this was a dream and it wasn't real because it's that – it's that vivid. It's that realistic when it happens. You know, we're, we're talking here about the edges of our consciousness. I mean, this is, t- this is hitting on a ton of big issues. Like what truly is consciousness? What truly is a dream? I mean, I know it sounds um, a little silly to go that big with it, but mm-hmm. it really does surround, surround all of these things because how, how do we know for sure if we're having that vivid of a dream that it is a dream? Yeah. Right. I mean, just the nature of of them themselves of of sleeping and dreaming. Man, I want to bring up things like the Matrix. I want to bring up things like uh, Plato's cabin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just knowing who we are, where we are, when we are, having that sense. And when you're going through a fugue state of having almost no sleep, I can totally imagine exactly what. I can't imagine what you're going through, Scott, but I can imagine what that would be like. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, what may have triggered some of these, and I think I, I think I kind of have it narrowed down to um, I, I had four family deaths that were, you know, people that were pretty close to me within a, a pretty short amount of time. Um, an aunt, m- both my grandparents on my dad's side, and my mother passed away, and uh, you know, I. I it was during that time that these dreams became the realistic dreams that they were, I guess. And reading true crime kind of took a different turn. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I wasn't able to disassociate myself with what I was reading so much as more. Like I had more empathy, I guess, for the families and you know the, the victims themselves, and you know, kind of understood a little bit more of what you know. A, a, a deep loss like that meant to them. And uh, and I don't know, maybe there was something there. Maybe that's what did it. But uh, it seems to kind of time out with uh, with those losses. And, you know, oddly, and I, I'll tell you, I lost two family pets along the way at the same time. And that alone is hard enough because, you know, you're talking about pets that you've had for 15, 16 years, at, you know, at a time. And, and that's tough on somebody as well. But when you lose these people that are really close to you um, and, and you combine that with having, uh, having to kind of immerse yourself in this, in this, the, these gritty, awful, dirty crimes that we're talking about here, because it is something I had to immerse myself in. It was, it, it was work, you know. I had to had to do this all day long, think about it at night, and come back in and do it all day long again. And uh, and it did just kind of uh, kind of wear on me, you know. Yeah. Well, I just like to relate this back to kind of us um, and the, and the show really fast. I know we've all dealt with our own sleeplessness at times, what would generally be considered acute insomnia. Um, it sounds like what you're dealing with is what would be considered chronic insomnia. It's lasted for months now at this point, right? Uh, or if not longer than it that. It seems like maybe years at this point in some form or another. I mean, I have had broken sleep where, you know, I can't sleep for more than an hour at a time without waking up and then staying awake for half an hour at a time. And it just, there's a lot of variations to what I'm going through right now with sleep, yeah. Well, you know, for it for it to be considered uh, chronic insomnia, it only has to happen three nights a week uh, out of a week. Oh, it's chronic for sure then. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Wow, that's that's intense. And it's ongoing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's lasted a long, long time. Like I said, probably, I, I want to say maybe even a couple of years at this point. It's been pretty insane. I just wanted to relate it back to you. I think we, a lot of us listening, uh, myself personally, can 
at least identify with what would be considered acute insomnia where like for maybe a couple of days in a row, you don't get much sleep at all and you feel differently or you're having trouble concentrating or you're feeling really drowsy. Probably a lot of us uh, who have been to college or and or just been in school ever have felt that during, you know, midday in a class or something. I'm assuming I'm just speaking from my own experience. Um, but I, I wonder how many people out there listening have dealt with something along the lines of what Scott is describing. Mm-hmm. And we would very much like to, to hear from you if you've ever experienced just sleeplessness uh, of that length basically because I can only imagine that that has, has a way – and this is me speaking not from experience but just I can imagine that it has a way of amplifying whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment or whatever you're going through. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have a few insomnia facts that I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of, Scott, but this may help some of our fellow listeners. Approximately one in four Americans will develop insomnia this year. Wow. About 30 percent of adults have symptoms of insomnia. 10 percent have chronic insomnia. And it appears – that for a number of factors or due to a number of factors, insomnia in this country is on the rise. And wow. that may just be the age of spontaneity and instant information. But sure. we're not built to live in this society. Well, we're also just such a mile-a-minute society where everything's about maximizing your time and you know not taking time for yourself and everyone's like overstressed and overworked and not doing that self-care stuff. And a big part of the, you know self-care is like getting an appropriate amount of sleep. You know, I can tell you what it's like. Uh, you know, laying in bed at night, it just with all these thoughts running through your head, I can almost tell you exactly where to go to like kind of understand what this is all about. And I don't remember the name of this movie, but it was Nicolas Cage and he played a weatherman in this movie. The weatherman? I don't think it was – was it called The Weatherman? It might have been. I don't think it was. I think it was actually. Was it really? OK. Well, he he had – there were moments where you were kind of in his head and you could hear the stream of consciousness and it was just, just these – it seemed like insane thoughts that were just all over the board. They were all over. He's thinking about his kid. He's thinking about his job. He's thinking about his relationship with his dad. He's thinking about his daughter. He's thinking about everything. And uh, and that is exactly what it's like. It's just thought after thought after thought. You can't shut it down. You can't stop it. You can't you know just turn it all off and go to sleep and get that rest that you need and then you know worry about it the next day. It's like it's it's there now and you've got to deal with it. I wasn't meaning to imply that like we're not taking care of ourselves because like insomnia is a choice. I think it's sort of like a product of maybe not having the ability to to, to, to like kind of have a little time of peace that's just for yourself. You're, all those thoughts are just worrying through your mind at all time because you don't give yourself space or our society doesn't give ourselves space to just kind of slow down for a minute. Everything's like a mile a minute. And if you're a family man, you know, you go from work to being at home and taking care of all of that stuff. And there's just so many things that are coming at you at all times. It's really hard to, you know, quiet those thoughts. Yeah, a lot of people will recommend, you know, meditation or, you know, breathing exercises or, you know, the, this uh, this mantra that you can use in your head, you know, at night just to kind of calm down and even, te- even techniques. Uh, I was given techniques by a psychologist recently that uh, were techniques that were given to military members, you know, if they're, if mm-hmm. they're um, POWs. 
and how they get to sleep because it's critical that they actually get to sleep if they're a peon because they'll start uh, becoming kind of almost insane if they go without sleep for, for long, long periods of time. And of course, it'd be easy to not sleep in that situation. You'd be so worried or so upset or hurt or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that you can chant to yourself over and over again in your head that allow you to get to, to, get to sleep and uh, and kind of shut it all down and then and then kind of be fresh and, and be alert and, and kind of understand uh, for them, you know, not to cough up all the secrets that you know, uh, mm-hmm. whereas if, you know, you were deprived of sleep, you might start talking. And, uh, and that's one of the tactics that I've been taught and it, it didn't really work for me. None of the breathing has worked for me, the, mm-hmm. uh, the meditation. I just can't seem to get into the right, uh, right mindset to do it. And speaking of taking moments, giving oneself cognitive space, let's pause for a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more from Scott Benjamin. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. So it sounds like one of the things that can lead to insomnia would be the persistent, unwelcome thoughts circling around like fish in a in a fishbowl, right? Yeah. Uh, this reminds me a little bit of the idea of the earworm, having a, a snatch of song stuck in your head. And for many people, uh, one of the ways to cure that thought or to break that curse of the earworm is to go through the entire song, you know, to, to confront that which is sort of a thorn in the side of our brain. Uh, mantras have been, have been used with Various results, person to person. It's interesting that you said this one didn't quite do the job for you. And I think we we talked off air during the break about this. I think we're dying to know if you're comfortable. What is the mantra? It is so simple. This is this is the most simple thing you can imagine. It's it's simply the words "don't think," and you repeat the words "don't think" over and over and over in your head. And if you're just saying, if you're concentrating on thinking, "don't think." Uh-huh. You're not thinking about other things and you, you're just thinking on uh, thinking about don't think and you say that over and over and over again in your head until you finally fall asleep. And I guess it works but I just haven't been able to get past, you know, several times of saying don't think and then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm back to thinking about what I was thinking about before. And, and it's like semantic satiation, right? When you say the words over and over in your head, they begin to lose meaning. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, the breathing exercises, they just haven't worked for me either. It's like, you know, the – Counting the uh, you know the seconds that you've inhaled and the seconds that you exhale and all that you know it's supposedly the the four count is the magic number for a lot of people and uh, you know inhale for four and hold it and exhale for four and hold it and uh, it just doesn't work for me I just haven't been able to have much success with that. Wow. Well, I want to get into something Ben mentioned there and that idea and process of curing yourself of an earworm because. I think that relates a lot to the motivations behind making this show Monster Presents Insomniac in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, Why on earth, if you are having nightmares and sleeplessness due to these monsters, these killers, would you continue making the podcast about these guys? <laughs> well, it, it kind of came about at the same time. You know, I mean, I guess I – guess, they just sort of developed around the, the same time when I when I began doing the research for this podcast. And uh, I didn't really have much trouble with it before. But then when I started to really, really dig deep into some of these characters that we're going to talk about, um, you know, that's when the nightmares really kind of escalated, I suppose, and, and really got worse. And I uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't torture myself this way. And I know that, you know, the management here doesn't want me to, uh, you know, be sleepless all the time and, you know, also, you know, 
feels like I'm again they they don't want to seem like they're they're making me do this and, and making my home life miserable or anything like that, but um, that's just kind of what's happened along the way, and and I'm trying to pull myself out of that right now, and I, I think I'm I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. So I guess my question is, Scott Benjamin, are you being forced to make this show against your will? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I still enjoy, you know, the true crime stuff. Uh, it has kind of taken a, a twist to where it's not, you know, the uh, the fun leisure time activity that it was. But uh, I, I do enjoy still reading it. I still, you know, at my desk, you'll still see me looking up some, you know, some kind of bad stuff and some interesting characters. Let's put it that way. That uh, you know, not the ones we're going to talk about now, but maybe even. A whole new set. Maybe we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. Okay, so let the record show. Matt Frederick did not single-handedly force Scott Benjamin <laughs> to make this uh, very difficult show. Yeah, well, we no. also have the cameras uh, with the new eye-tracking technology that we've been using, yeah. and uh, they, they can discern that he was, in fact, telling the truth. I am well, telling the truth. You definitely didn't single-handedly force Scott to do anything because as people know, your street name is Maddie Two Hands Frederick. Yeah, it was double-handedly for sure, <laughs> if it was, right? <laughs> so maybe Thanks. Thanks, man. let's dive in. Let's chase some of these shadows. Let's walk a little further away from the light here and see some of the cases that that have I don't want to say inspired your insomnia, but have have been in lockstep with this condition. Uh, one that Matt, you and you, Noel, had mentioned before was the case of a fellow named Stephen Mark McDaniel. Sure, yeah. That's, AKA uh, the creepy neighbor. Yeah, yes, very creepy neighbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he's kind of a standout on this list. He's a uh, he's a guy that uh, I I don't think he well actually he's not a serial killer. He's he's a, a person who killed one individual, but he was somebody that uh, well myself included, but the authorities believe that this guy would have been a serial killer had he been able to continue. He was just really bad at what he did, and he got caught early, early on. But uh, there's some incredibly disturbing things about this character that uh, uh, will come up in the podcast and lots of detail that um, it's hard to overlook some of these uh, some of these signs that he was well on his way to becoming you know a lifetime criminal now he was a law student at some point right he was as was his victim they were at uh, Mercer Law School in Macon Georgia and they were um, I don't know if they were necessarily in class together or not they were in the same graduating class uh, they had attended university together and knew of each other um, him obviously a little bit more than her he was infatuated with her she knew very little of him and uh, they lived near each other in the same apartment complex. You know, they were next door neighbors. And uh, he had an unhealthy uh, obsession with her, I guess. That's probably the best way to put it. And uh, and she really didn't understand that, didn't know it um, until it was far too late. And one of, one of the craziest things about this is how the public learned about it, specifically the local population in Macon, Georgia. It was a, it was a local TV station – that they were conducting interviews outside of the apartment complex where where was it where Stephen and Lauren lived correct and Stephen happened to be walking 
near them or something and agreed to do an interview. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. She uh, – so the, uh, the, the reporter grabbed Stephen and, uh, and – you know, th- that's the thing. I, I've got a theory about that that I'll, I'll come to in just a moment. But she grabbed him and had him do a quick interview and he looks all disheveled and, and a little bit wild-eyed and his hair is kind of crazy and he's just an unusual-looking guy to begin with. Um, you'll understand what I mean if you see him. Um, and he gives this uh, this interview, which, when looking back, is like the worst acting job you've ever seen in your life. When you when you really, <laughs> you know, investigate what happened and, and understand what was going on right at that moment. This is just one key element of the story, and I guess maybe a bit of a plot twist in it is that during the interview, the reporter mentions to him that they have located a body on the property or nearby. I remember this. Yeah, and he immediately just goes quiet. Goes goes completely catatonic and and stares at the lens of the camera and can't believe what's going on and says, you know, kind of stammers a, a body, you know, like he's, he can't believe it. And then he kind of staggers away from the camera, sits down for a while, says he needs to sit down and rest. And, you know, they're trying to comfort him, trying to console him because he, up until this point, had been involved in the supposed search for Lauren's body, um, even though he knew exactly where she was. He knew exactly what had happened to her. It was. It's just – it's it's really a remarkable piece of footage and they do bring him back on the camera later and have him talk and you know he's supposedly really upset and you know he's crying these crocodile tears um at, you know how how concerned he is over what's going on and you know how he was so close to Lauren and how uh you know everybody loved her i can't imagine what happened somebody must have you know snatched her in the park when she's out for a jog or something like that you know he he's just uh, beside himself with with fear and worry and you know, anger about this, but uh, all along, you know, it's pretty evident what's really happening. But I mean, geez, like for someone who reacted so poorly, like why do you think he would have put himself out there like that? Well, you, th- you think he was just kind of cocky and like didn't think he was going to get caught or okay. that he had like done the perfect crime or something? So this is my theory and I, I mentioned this just a moment ago, but I, I, I truly feel like Stephen kind of put himself in a position to be interviewed to get himself on camera and to be able to kind of say like, I, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a neighbor and you know I'm, I'm clear of this whole thing. He thought he was in the clear. And a lot of these guys, a lot of – you know, just about every case that you'll read about of serial killers or you know, killers like this, like, like Stephen McDaniel, you'll find that they have this, uh, this narcissistic tendency where they feel like they're a lot smarter than everybody else. And, they're, and sure. it's like this is his moment to kind of stand right there where the crime happened, right in front of where the crime happened and say to everybody else, you know, you, know, you idiots aren't looking in the right spot. I know exactly where she is and I'm, I'm just going to lie to you right to your face and tell you exactly what's going – you know, what, I'm, what I want you to think. And you're going to take it and kind of believe it. I, I feel like this is like just kind of like the uh, the ultimate, you know, like I'll, I'll show you move from a, a killer. And we've seen this before with other killers. And in fact, another one in this series does something similar, like another another really odd on camera interview with the, with the local news station. And again, I feel like it's just that narcissistic tendency for these guys to say, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a lot smarter than you, and and. You're just not looking in the right spot. I, I could tell you where they are. I'm not going to. Can we can we just mention who that is? It's <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's the it's the first couple of uh, stories that we're going to talk about in Insomniac, and it's it's Herb Baumeister. Herb Baumeister was interviewed by a local Indianapolis television station right on the very property where all of his bodies were buried, and he's doing it you know right at the at the base of his driveway with his property in the background and he's talking about some uh, you know an animal that was striped over on the road 
uh, you know, Rogue Crew ran over a raccoon with a with striping machine, and he's just outraged over the treatment of this poor little animal. But you know, right behind him are the dead bodies of of all these young men that he had been killing on his property. So it's a bizarre interview, but he gives no outward appearance of, of being anything other than just a, a typical, you know, small businessman. Hmm. And he's very concerned about what's happening there in his community. And it's it's just a bizarre, bizarre interview. Chilling, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, when you, when you consider what was happening at the time in that individual's life and in particular, in particular, right on that property, right where the camera crew was, crew was he's got the ultimate secret right there behind him. And he's, he's just not letting anybody through that, he's he's got that uh, that that hard veneer that he's not letting anybody look beyond. And Baumeister had uh, quite a quite a body count, right? There was still he's he's passed away now. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the means of his yeah. death, but uh, he he is no longer on on the planet in corporeal form, uh, and he is still being linked to more murders, I believe, uh, through the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, I believe so. Um, well, they they. Tied him to some stranglings that happened on I-70 prior to him owning the home where he was interviewed, where we're talking about, you know, this uh, this interview happening. And uh, it, uh, what happens is the, uh, you know, the, the, the victims are all the same age, the same weight, you know, mm-hmm. the same d- demographic basically as um, the ones that he killed on his property. But as soon as he bought this home, the highway killings stopped and his killings began. And so – it's very, very likely that you know his, his victim count was officially, I think, eleven. You know what he's convicted mm-hmm. of. Uh, they believe that it went as high as twenty or possibly more. You know, if they can tie him okay. to all of the others that they didn't have any kind of physical evidence, you know, for. Isn't it terrible how, when we speak of these things, we're talking about body count, you know, as the number of victims. When you're thinking about some of these most notorious serial killers. And it's their body count a lot of times is one of those things that becomes it's the number, the stat that people look yeah. for to like how prolific they were or whatever. Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? Um, and, but yeah, just the fact that 11 people lost their lives because of this guy at least. At least. Mm-hmm. That's 11 families. And, you know, the, the number of people affected by that it grows exponentially. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, there's somebody that cared about that person. There's somebody, you know, lots of people probably that cared about that person, friends, family, associates, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, somebody somebody raised that person, you know, to the point where they were killed. And, and all of the effort and the time and the love and, you know, the care that went into raising that person and, and being close to that person, all that's just taken away for a senseless reason so quickly. And, and so it's just, again, senselessly, it's, there's, there's no reason for this other than, you know, one person's selfishness, one person's, you know, desire to, uh, um, well, just to, I guess, be lawless. I don't know. I don't know how better to put this than, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just they're, they're succumbing to their urges and, and uh, it's just, it's horrific. So what circumstances led to Baumeister's apprehension? How well, did they find him? Uh, they found it was a. It's kind of a twisted story, and it, it it's probably one of the first few things you're going to hear in episode one, where he is uh, he's kind of tracked down to an area in Canada, and uh, they discover his body really, um, because he knew he had been found out. You know, he knew that he was uh, being tracked at that time. He had gotten early word when he was in a different part of Indiana. Um, he was visiting his mother at the time in northern Indiana, and had fled from there understanding what was going on in Indianapolis at his home. He knew that, you know, the time was up for him. And he uh, he began to run. 
and he realized at some point, you know, I'm not going to be able to outrun this. I'm not going to be able to, to uh, ever go back to the life that I had. I, I can't live like this. So, uh, you know, he, he decided to take care of himself, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And uh, he never, ever, as a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys do, uh, he never accepted blame for any of these murders. He never mentioned any of the murders, really, mm-hmm. in, in his uh, suicide note. Um, but it's it's kind of shocking how you would, you would think that it would be your time to come clean and, you know, just clear your conscience that one last time, but he never, ever admitted to any of it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps in a very real way, he compartmentalized his uh, his killing persona and his day-to-day Herb Baumeister persona. Oh, I believe that completely. I think it's two separate individuals. I mean, he, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, you know, where, um, you know, I, I believe that there were, there were times when he felt it was safe for him to do this or it was, uh, it was the right thing for him to do. And uh, other times when, you know, he had to play the part of the businessman, the family man, and, and kind of keep it all together on the surface uh, for the community and for, you know, his own reputation. Um, although there were a lot of cracks in that reputation, you know, he found that, you know, he um, – there were a lot of troubles along the way, I guess, for her. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, you know, hit and run accidents and, you know, uh, speeding tickets and he was drinking a lot at work and stuff like that. It was just – there were a lot of – there's a lot of trouble. A lot of flags. Yeah, huh? exactly right. And, and more than that even, uh, but he seemed to get around it and he seemed to, like you said, compartmentalize it, I think, in a, in a way that worked for him. Let's pause for a moment here. We'll have a word from our sponsor, and then we will return with more Insomniac. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. Uh, we should say that we're giving these cases a, a high level look uh, to give give you a taste of what we're exploring in Insomniac. But the episodes themselves are very deep dives. Would you say that's accurate, Scott? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're uh, we're not giving anything away here. I know we were we're kind of revealing a few little you know secrets here and there, but. There's so much more to each one of these stories. It, it, like No matter how much we reveal here, there's going to be so much more revealed in those episodes. Well, let's take a look at at least one more person of interest. Could you tell us a little bit about Arthur Shawcross? This person was uh, unfamiliar to me, which is – Surprising sometimes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You you know a lot of uh, a lot of you know a lot of criminals, Ben. I don't mean to sound that way. I mean you know a lot about <laughs> yeah, true you crime. Do. You know. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of surprised, but um, this is the Rochester Strangler. This is a guy that uh, um, uh, boy, he had an interesting criminal career, I guess, because it was broken up by a couple of decades, really. Right. He went um, dormant. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, he wasn't necessarily dormant as he, as much as he was um, um, incarcerated. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you know, he uh, he served his time for uh, some horrific crimes, um, of course, in, in Rochester. He then uh, was was put in jail for I believe it was like 15 years or something like that. He should have been in prison for probably for the rest of his life for what he had done. I'm not going to tell you what he did, but uh, he should should have been in jail for the rest of his life. He was let out early um, and uh, went almost immediately right back to killing again. But he had a, a completely different set of victims, a different type of victims that he was after at that point. So his uh, his crimes span from you know the early 1970s all the way to about 1989. Um, you know, the second set actually goes from, gosh, I don't know when, probably I want to say like the maybe early 80s until about 1989. And uh, the victim count as we've, you know, we've already talked about this horrific victim count thing. Sure. Um, it could have been stopped at two. I'll put it that. And, and 
after he was released, he killed an additional 12 people. So, you know, that just shows you what a mistake it was to let this guy out. And, and some of the, the things that he did were just horrific. I mean, some of the details are the stuff of nightmares and, and were the stuff of nightmares for me for a while. Um, but, yeah, some some really, really bad things going on. I mean, he, he claimed – he was also kind of a, a liar and a bragger and he embellished a lot of his his crimes. But what he truly did, what they discovered that he did – uh, was nearly as bad as, as his own fantasy world that he lived in. We talked about the previous two guys that found a way to insert themselves onto television to almost uh, as a wink and a nod of like, here I am, you'll never catch me. Mm-hmm. There's something with this character, Shawcross, that he did where I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he frequented a bar that was kind of known as a police hangout. Uh, actually, it was Dunkin' Donuts. He oh, went okay. to Dunkin' Donuts. I think you're thinking of uh, Ed, Edmund, uh, Edmund Kemper went to a okay. bar that was uh, – so this is not uncommon. I mean this happens with other criminals as well. They want to get kind of the inside track on what the police are up to. So well, Dunkin' Donuts is where you get that. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. just saying. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny stereotype I know, but it's true. He, he found the Dunkin' Donuts that was near his home where the police were hanging out and these guys would go into the Dunkin' Donuts and they would kind of discuss what they were, were dealing with, what they were, uh, you know, kind of openly. Once they were familiar with, you know, the regulars that would come in, which Shawcross was one, he would just kind of sit at the counter and listen to what they were doing and he would, you know, talk with them occasionally, but he didn't really insert himself into the the, uh, the conversation quite as much. He would just listen to what's happening and, and by playing this kind of cat and mouse game with them, you know, as a lot of these guys do, um, he was able to function in, in the way that he wanted to longer than he normally would have because he had the inside scoop on what they were up to and what they were going to what they were going to do the stings that they were going to set up to try to capture him you know where they were going to be that day to kind of look you know if they're going to be down by the river if they're going to be um, you know at the playground whatever they were going to be doing you know to to look for this guy he knew he had the inside scoop and and Edmund Kemper did a similar thing at a bar and I think it was called the jury room it was across from the courthouse and he befriended police as well and, you know, same type of thing. And, and when, you know, it came right down to it, Edmund Kemper, when he actually, you know, he's trying to confess at some point mm-hmm. and he called the police and they didn't even believe him. He had to call several times and give them, you know, very accurate information about what he had done in order to, con- to convince them that, yeah, he was he was the one guilty for, of this. He's responsible. Also, he's anomalous in that he does have a higher IQ. A lot of these killers tend to be lower in the in the intelligence spectrum, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, he has Kemper has that chilling interview uh, upon which the series Mindhunter has based more than a few episodes, uh, wherein he describes in first person his yeah. motivation. And, and here's Shawcross. Shawcross is uh, is I, I would call him one of the I guess lower IQ, lower than Kemper at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just he was smart enough though to understand where he needed to be and. What you know, the information that he needed to gather in order to continue to again function the way that he was functioning at that time, and um, it just it just allowed him to continue to do what he wanted to do. Hmm. So we touched on something briefly that I think bears further examination here, and that is the idea of the survivors, the relatives, the loved ones of the victims. Uh, for those people, as anyone who has been involved in a tragedy like this is well aware, for those people, the murder never really stops happening, right? Mm-hmm. And we can be stuck in that moment the same way you can be stuck hearing the same segment of a song or 
telling yourself, don't think, don't think, don't think. What, what do you, what, what have you learned about the way at least U.S. society treats uh, the loved ones, the survivors of these tragedies? Do you think that there is any sand to the idea that this country may glorify uh, serial killers? Yeah, I think uh, – unfortunately, I think that that's the case. It's been the case in the past. I think that they're uh, they're getting a lot better at this now. I think some of these mass shooters that we hear about recently, you know, some of the ones that, that kill everybody all at once, you know, in one day, not a serial killer necessarily. Uh, but, I, the, you know, some of these – some of the news outlets are trying to avoid using the name of the person, trying to give them a little less fame for what they've done because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are uh, – <laughs> Well, we probably heard this. They've tried, they're trying to kind of outdo each other, and it's a horrific game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're maybe doing a little bit less of that when you when it comes to you know capturing like the Golden State Killer um, or capturing you know uh, serial killers that you know are maybe local that you know we don't hear about you know national nationwide rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll probably hear their names in the papers still, and I, I think they're doing a better job of it. I think that they're trying to minimize that so that they're not glorified the way they were. Um, as far as like the you know the, the treatment that the families receive, I think there's still a lot of compassion that's given uh, to the families of the victims by the police by you know supporting um, members of the of the force you know the the uh, psychologists or you know whoever happens to come in and, and you know have to like kind of talk the kids through this thing and um, I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm talking myself into a corner here but uh, no no it, it, I, I feel like I feel like there's still a lot of compassion for the people uh-huh. that have to go through this that are the victims' families but. Um, Maybe they're they're definitely not not glorifying the killer quite as much as they have been in the last couple of decades, right? Because especially in the eighties and nineties, there was this huge phase of that, yeah. and in some ways, it could be seen as a successor to the earlier cultural practice of uh, glorifying other criminals, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. For instance, mm-hmm. right? It reminds me of a most wanted list or something mm-hmm. that's plastered all over town or mm-hmm. something to that effect, where everybody in town knows the the face of those bad people that we're chasing. Right, right. That's a very, I mean, it's a very good point. It's one that we have to address. I don't know whether there is an answer because it's also important to be aware of this. This is more horrible than horror fiction, and it's important to be armed with this information. One thing, stop me if this is too far into spoiler territory, but one thing I'm very curious about, Scott, is um, did you find or have you found in the course of your research something that completely surprised you or if you had to pick one or two moments that sort of stayed with you more so than, you know, the – I hate to say typical but the regular stuff that stayed with you. Yeah. Was there anything that just caught you – Flat-footed. Well, there are a couple of things. Yeah, I can point to a couple of things. And one, I'm not going to give you too much detail on because it's the end of the series and I don't want to really reveal where we're going with this whole thing. But um, gosh, there, there are a few things. One, one was that um, one of the characters that we're going to talk about in this series is, is – uh, his name is Donald Henry Peewee Gaskins Jr. And he goes by Peewee. It's a funny name I know, but this mm-hmm. guy is – Bad. He's bad. I mean, really bad guy. And uh, he's he was known as the meanest man in America at one point. And there's very, very good reason for that. He wrote a book that was called The Final Truth. He wrote it himself. He actually had a, a ghostwriter, you know, somebody who came in and sat down with him on death row, and he just 
kind of let it all out. I mean, he knew he was going to be executed. He knew that, you know, this was it. It was him coming clean for all of his crimes, everything bad that he did. It was all like this is all real stuff. It was all, you know, proven at some point. Um, now, he, of course, I think there's a little bit of embellishment because that's the way these guys operate. You know, there's a little bit. But but the killings themselves, the ones that he is guilty of, he he fesses up to in great detail and tells you exactly what happened uh, in pretty good detail. I mean, real detail, serious detail, um, probably more than you would want to know. Um, I've, I've read the whole book and it was it was pretty shocking. You know, the only one that I can think of that comes even close to this is, a, is another one that was written by another killer. His, uh, his last name was Schaefer. Gerard Schaefer, I think is his name. And uh, in that book, he um, uh, describes – it was called Killer Fiction. And he played it off as fiction, but I don't think much of that book was fiction. I think a lot of it was uh, was based on his his crimes or at least his fantasies of the crimes that he did commit. So uh, there's a lot of parallels to uh, you know what he really had had done in his real life. And th- those two books are probably about the only two that have really uh, kind of disturbed me to the point you know like far beyond any other true crime book that I've ever read. And mm-hmm. the other thing that has kind of stuck with me is uh, is the very last person that we're going to talk about in this whole series and. There's a reason this guy was put off to the end. He's the, he's the one that um, I found the most disturbing. His name's his name's Dean Coral. He's called the Candyman, and Dean was unique in a way that um, he had two teenage accomplices that helped him with his murders. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that they went about this, the the coldness, the callousness, the uh, the, the depravity that they showed uh, in, throughout this whole thing, um, it, it's just it, it's far beyond. Anything, any other criminal that I've ever read about, he's probably one of the worst people that I've, I've ever read about in my whole life. And I've read many, many true crime books, and and know of a lot of you know the the, the typical or the uh, the more common killers that you know most of us have probably heard of. Sure, um, but this one, uh, it, it, this story goes above and beyond. It, it's horrific. Just to jump in there, I remember the first time I listened to the last two episodes in early cuts mm-hmm. and. I turned it. I kept turning it off because I could not listen to it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's shocking the way that uh, you know he had he had command of these two teenage accomplices and, and what they did for him and and with him. And uh, you're you're gonna find it uh, you're gonna find it pretty uh, pretty disturbing. Let's just put it that way. Honestly, Scott, when I think about that case in those episodes, it gives me a better understanding of why and how something like this could affect you if you have just an ounce of empathy, you know, like seeing through the eyes of some of those victims just enough. I can imagine how it would bring about nightmares and and anxieties and fears and all of that. I can see it. We see that's the thing is that, you know, prior to all of this, I didn't really come at it with that sense of empathy, and I've kind of developed that over you know the last several years, and um, more so you know probably because of what I've been going through in my own personal life, and, and it does affect you differently. So you know I I don't mean to sound whiny about any of this or anything like that. It's it's just that's just the way that things have kind of progressed for me, and I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to you know I guess shut that off a little bit more, and trying to uh, it's awful to say, but become a little bit more hardened again. Against this type of thing, because I do, I do enjoy reading this stuff. It's it's interesting to me still, uh, but but coming from that point with with that empathy, that does make it a lot more difficult. And and until you have that sensation, that feeling, or that understanding, 
I don't know if you can really put yourself in that in the, the, that same or that similar situation, like maybe what you know the person next to you who's reading the same thing is going through. You know, it's it's all different for everybody. Well, and I think you made this pretty clear, but this condition that you're struggling with did develop like in tandem with you kind of developing the show and it sort of became part of the show organically Mm -hmm. where it just made sense. It wasn't like a clever pitch. It was literally this is Scott's life. And I remember seeing you in the office a couple of times and I actually had a month of pretty bad insomnia myself. We talked about it a couple of times. Yeah, we did. And that was actually when I first realized that you were having those troubles because I told you about my troubles and yeah. we were kind of sharing you know ideas of like what to do about it or whatever uh, and I think know? it was sometime around that same time when I kind of took an informal poll around the office with you know who's having sleeping trouble mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people did a lot of them said you know I don't sleep more than three four hours a night most nights and you know I have a lot of worry about work and you know about personal things or whatever and you know not to get anybody's you know, uh, personal business or anything, but you know, a lot of people are having sleep issues around here. The, I mean, most of the people in the office are, and I would bet if this is just kind of a uh, a microcosm of what's going on everywhere else, most people are doing, you know, are having some issues with sleep. It, you know, whether it's something kind of minor or you know, it's something a little little tougher, a little you know, uh, something that really causes some problems, you know, at, in, at home and at work. And I, I bet a lot of people are going through that. How would you say the insomniac components of the show, like there's sort of these discrete moments in the show where you talk about this. Mm-hmm. How would you say those kind of inform the bigger story or like wh- what do you want people to take away from that? Well, I think actually, you know what? It's funny. We, it's, it's a little bit – it's kind of separate in a way. Um, and I try to tell the story uh, just so that it's, it's just a story, so that it's you know this, this horrific true crime story and it's something that you haven't heard before. But then my own personal part of this whole thing – it's just kind of like something that we've we've added here and there to kind of let people know, you know, what's happening at the time. You know, like what I was feeling at the time, what's what I'm going through, and uh, it, it's I'm trying to keep them separate, and I'm uh, kind of like I'm trying to keep all this, you know, the the, the work stuff separate from my personal life, and it, it's a good, um, I don't know, it's a good analogy for that, I guess, is that you know trying to just kind of keep one thing here, one thing there, and and keep them apart as much as I can, but they do come together to form this whole story and this you know that's that's part of who I am right now at this moment and uh and I guess you're you're getting to see a, a glimpse of that you're getting to see you know what that's all about you know the the melding of these two things you certainly look like Scott Benjamin that I remember from from car stuff and uh the guy who portrayed the zodiac wait a second did you like become the zodiac killer <laughs> no is that what this is about <laughs> absolutely not oh, man just the voice of okay all right just the voice <laughs> of. I'll, give you, I'll give you a little flavor of that yeah. well the show is called monster presents insomniac it is available now wherever you find your favorite chilling podcast scott thank you so much for coming by uh, and and hanging out with us today and giving us giving us a firsthand exploration of this unique approach to true crime uh, and uh, i've got to say i appreciate it but i am very worried for you. <laughs> well, no need to worry, Ben. I'm uh, I'm kind of on the mend now. I'm getting I'm getting better, slow but sure. I'm uh, I'm kind of figuring this uh, the sleep thing out a little bit, you know, day by day, and I'm, I'm I am getting better. Um, so no worries there. Um, I should be back to normal pretty soon here. I would I would think I hope anyway. But I do want to thank you know all three of you, Ben, Matt, Noel, all of you for letting me come in here and uh, and share the space with you today. I really appreciate it, and I hope I haven't talked too much. It feels like uh, I've been kind of um, 
taken over the show. I didn't mean to do that, but uh, well, this is uh, that's that's what being a guest is all about. We're here to <laughs> highlight your story and your show, and well, we we love it, and we're, we we love you, Scott. Well, always, thank you very sure. much. I appreciate it, and uh, and I have felt like uh, you know people have been you know kind of compassionate about this, you know, understanding of of what I've been going through, and and uh, I hope other people out there that you know are suffering with the same type of thing. Have somebody that can you know kind of help them along with it too, and you can talk about it. You can uh, you know figure it out because you do have to figure it out. It, it will it will destroy you quickly. And what are your personal experiences with insomnia? Are you one of those twenty five percent of Americans who will acquire insomnia this year or already has? If so, uh, how do you address it? How do you deal with it? Uh, what, do you, do you yeah. think this is just something that we deal with now, the way our society is? Right. You, is it the new normal? Yeah. Or is it something specific? Is there something going on specifically that we're we're all grappling with? Who knows? Tell us about it. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we highly recommend our community page, Here's Where It Gets Crazy. You can give us a phone call where we are 1-833-STDWYTK. Leave us a message. You might get on the air uh, if you choose to get on there. Let us know if you do not want that or if you don't want to be named. Any specifics, just leave it in that message. If you want to find us on social, uh, you can find us on Instagram where we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. And uh, Ben, you are on there as well. That's true. You can see me get kicked in and out of various uh, countries, organizations, and restricted areas at Ben Bolin. And secret societies? No comment. Okay. And you can find me just, you know, palling around with my kid or doing a little travel or cooking some delicious foods uh, over at How Now Noel Brown. And hey, that's uh, that's enough about our show. How can people learn about Monster Presents Insomniac, Scott? Uh, well, they can go to insomniacpodcast.com, and that's probably the best place, really. But you can also get it at Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio app. And if none of those methods of communication are really, really hitting the spot for you, we have good news. There is one way that you can always contact us. You can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.